Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this, the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris from Lace Partners, uh, Marketing Director, and I am joined, I'm in a duet today. Sometimes we do a trio, but I'm a duet today, and I'm joined today, my my duet uh, my, my duet singer, although we promise we won't do any singing, um, we'll just talk the HR stuff, is Katie Jacobs from the CIPD, who is Senior Stakeholder Lead. Katie, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking forward to our beautiful duet, Chris. Karaoke. What a wonderful way with words you have. <laughs> what's your favourite? What's your go-to karaoke song? I'm just going off on a tangent for a second. Uh, my favourite go-to karaoke. Same pretty, pretty traditional. So it's really Total Pits of the Heart. Oh, very good calm. one. Like it's very, one. it's really hard to sing though. It's very, yeah. I mean, that is like you're not, yeah, you're not drink, making life easy. Drink needs yourself, to have yeah. been taken. So. <laughs> drink needs to be taken, and you need to have everyone that's promised to put their phones away and they're not recording. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So we are going to talk a little bit about a blog you recently wrote. And there's a couple of points in there which are very, very interesting from our perspective at LACE because there's a lot of elements which resonate with both the HR on the Offensive podcast that we podcast, that's what we're doing now, the blog that we blog and the white paper that we wrote last year, and also a white paper that we have coming up in November too. So I think I want to touch on a couple of those bits. But before we go into any of that sort of detail, can you tell me a little bit about your role at the CIPD and what exactly does a senior stakeholder lead do? I don't think it's a failure of a job title when you have to explain it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't come up with the title myself. So my role at CIPD, which I've been doing for about 18 months now, I think, that's almost two years, is to look after our HR leader proposition and population. So kind of engage with those leaders in the profession. So that's kind of HRD level, CPO level, and ensure that we are including them, um, consulting them on all of our research and policy and content, using them as kind of role models to inspire the next generation and making sure we can develop a stronger value proposition for that group so that they feel the CIPD is worth still being a member of when you've reached the kind of dizzy heights of executive. Yeah. And there's a lot in there, isn't there, for your role in terms of supporting people and bringing up that next generation too as well. So it's about the, the sort of senior stakeholders and the senior HRD professionals, but also those people that are the next level up. And we'll talk about that We'll talk about that in, in a minute in the actual uh, when we get into the numbers of the blog that you've written. But just before we do that, and I guess this is part of of your role and why you've been involved in a successful hackathon is what it's what it's described as. So talk to me about that in a minute. But before we do that, this is all part of the this People Profession 2030 research report that you guys are releasing in November. So at the time of us recording, it's all very secret and everybody at CIPD has, has closed, pulled up the drawbridge so you can finish off this report. So is there any little snippets that you can give us about what the People Profession research report is about? Yeah, well, of course, I think the clue is in the name, People Profession and 2030. So obviously, as a professional body, we have a kind of responsibility to set the profession up for sustainable success in the future. And obviously, we're going through a bit of a turbulent time right now as a as a country, but also as it's having a massive impact on the HR profession. I'm sure that's something that we'll come to later. But before COVID hit, we were thinking we really needed to do a big piece of work on kind of co-creating 
a vision for the future for the profession. And that co-creation piece is really, really important. It shouldn't just be us saying this is what we think is important, but we should be mm. listening to as many voices as possible. Uh, so the hackathon, which uh, I have to say I was actually on holiday for the two weeks of the hackathon, but I can tell you about it anyway, um, involved. We had hundreds, um, hundreds of professionals from all around the world. Um, at a real mix of levels. So, you know, right from kind of people at the start of their HR career into kind of more senior HR professionals through to perhaps people who are self-employed consultants, uh, kind of places as far flung as Singapore and Dubai and in the UK and just a really kind of lively conversation that went on over a couple of weeks exploring various themes. I think people were set a challenge or asked for thoughts on something every single day. Um, and that kind of enabled us to come up with a framework of trends that, that are kind of driving the profession forward, which we then refined with a lot of work that I led with senior leaders. So just to kind of get as many, I was gonna say as many senior leaders into a room as possible. Obviously we did not do that. It was all no. virtual. Virtually. And we started planning it at the beginning of the year. It was, I know, last year even, it was going to be in person. We we're going to do a roadshow around the UK, but we ended up doing like eight or nine roundtables over Teams instead to hear from people in various regions of, of the UK and kind of big CPO roles in a range of organisations, so from your kind of huge local authorities to FTSE 100s to kind of smaller businesses and high street names. Yeah, and it was that sort of roundtable that you did, virtual roundtable, again, stressing to anybody out there listening, thinking rule of six, rule of six, it's all virtual these days, it's all virtual. So on that roundtable, a lot of that, what came out of that, I guess, was the um, gave you a lot of the, the thinking and talking points for the blog that you wrote. So can you just tell us a little bit of top line about about the blog, um, about some of the interesting things that came out from some of those those roundtable discussions? Mm. So um, I think what struck me, so I've been working around this space for about, I think it's more than a decade because before I was at CIBD, I was a journalist. So I used to write, I still write um, a lot about kind of HR and the world of work and leadership. So I used to edit HR magazine and then write various other publications as well. And I think just kind of what, what struck me was the quality of the conversation um, had mo has moved on quite a lot in those 10 years. So I think the main thing was we had these eight, I think it was eight conversations, that's sort of 16 hours worth of, of conversation, which I was lucky enough to facilitate. And I will stress that every single one was different and I learned something new every time. And it wasn't just the same conversation eight times, was how far those HRDs and CPOs are working beyond the people agenda. So we didn't really talk about HR stuff. So it wasn't about employee engagement or performance management. Um, rather, the stuff we were talking about was the kind of like the the business strategy or the finances of the organization we were talking about supply chain issues and ethics for the supply chain and what the hr director's role was in making sure that the people experience uh, exists well beyond the boundaries of their organization or we talked about climate change we talked about mm. sustainability and we talked about kind of responsible business and the role that hr has in managing multiple stakeholders so i think the point for me um, that I kind of thought I'd write about in the blog, which seems to really touch the chord because I've got a lot of positive comments on it, a lot of people sharing it. Um, that's really great. Was that the, the role is just really expanded and become much more externally focused, whereas yeah. HR perhaps traditionally wasn't seen as somewhere for people who are particularly ambitious and it's not kind of quote unquote the sexiest role in an organisation. But a lot of the, the conversation was just so, so high level and strategic and not about the day-to-day -day kind of bread and butter HR at all. 
Yeah. So that's just what I decided to kind of get that down while it was in my brain. No, it's good. It was a really, really interesting piece. And it resonated certainly with us with Lace, which is why we wanted to get you onto the call, uh, onto this podcast today, because we are in the midst of writing our own white paper. Uh, we went, we've gone out to around about 20, uh, I think it's 22, although in, I need to double check with our um, exec uh, director, Emma, on the exact numbers. But we've spoken to a lot of senior stakeholders from large businesses. And our white paper is focused on HR shared service and the evolution of it. But what I found fascinating from the white paper, again, coming out in November, so by the time we release this, it might just have been out, is this idea that you, you, you are going to need to get HR professionals, senior HR professionals of the futures of future. And now, to be fair, as you've just said, they're becoming more commercial in their outlook and their perspective. And that's fascinating because that then opens up, as you said, a whole attractiveness i guess to the to the role of a hr director chief people officer but i think as well and i don't know i get your thoughts on this do you think it also opens up avenues for hr as a profession to start looking in terms of skills outside of the more traditional sort of areas of this is the typical type of hr person oh yeah definitely and this is some of the stuff that kind of came up in the conversation because as well as uh, everything we were talking about on that big picture stuff a lot of it came down to the kind of granularity of the skills that you need within the profession to deliver on the kind of major macro trends that are driving change in the world of work so yeah definitely I mean I, I think we've seen that for you know a number of years anyway I mean if you you obviously work in the tech space and as kind of analytics and stuff becomes more important lots of people are coming out of other functions and into HR to build those people analytics yeah yeah, capabilities, because it perhaps doesn't exist within the kind of HR function. Um, and what we were, what we did see, and what people were talking a bit about is a kind of rise in secondments. So perhaps a, an H, uh, somebody within HR with a lot of potential going outside of HR and doing a secondment in the line or in the business, so the other way around. So somebody from the business coming into HR to experience what it's like within the people function for a while as well, and a lot of kind of more cross functional skills. Um, yeah. development going on I mean I think personally and this is just my personal view in kind of working on the outskirts of corporates and businesses for quite a long time is that obviously the value of deep you know the value of deep skills does exist we need people with those deep technical skills but the more senior you become and the more kind of uh, the, the boundaries between organizations are and the kind of the more it becomes about working within an ecosystem I think it's those kind of more transferable you know, there's T-shaped skills along the top that become more important. And, you know, that's all the kind of stakeholder management, the relationship management, also the kind of general commerciality and business acumen that we, that kind of everybody needs. It's not just the HR profession, but those are the skills and that emotional intelligence as well that really has value. Yeah, it's kind of the morphing of people into, you know, workforce into business people rather than, you know, I'm a marketing person by trade, but actually I'm a business person as well because I'm looking at, okay, how's the business performing and what do we need to do in order to to meet our objectives and how, again, cross-functionally, how can I work in teams on a project? So that's something that I find fascinating as that's evolving. And a question I was just going to ask you, because I don't think that you can go through a single conversation without talking about COVID in a way, shape or form right now, is do you think that um, with the, the current sort of situation that we found ourselves in with this global pandemic, do you think the COVID pandemic has provided an opportunity for HR professionals to kind of put themselves front and centre, like as a result of, of, the, of the situation we've been in? Yeah, I think absolutely. And I know it 
some people kind of cringe when you describe it as an opportunity because obviously it has been yeah. <laughs> really really tough times for everybody but in terms of the in terms of the profession I think it has been a, a catalyst for for change but also for change in the way that it's perceived so a lot of um and I covered this in the in the blog as well and we've got another piece of research coming out which I'll just plug plug quickly about responsible business and trustworthy leadership through COVID where we spoke to about 60 business leaders so kind of CEO MD level but also CHROs about how they've responded during the kind of first like first four four to five months of the pandemic and a lot of what came through in that is that it was actually the CPO or the HRD that was leading or co-leading the organizational response to COVID so they really were kind of in the driving seat and I think we've all seen how HR has been very much on the organizational front line Mm. of this crisis because ultimately it's a health crisis a health crisis means it's a human crisis and then it kind of falls within the realms of HR but also because that kind of quickly is mutated into an economic crisis it is very focused on jobs mm. so I think the the scope of what HR has had to do during the crisis has been quite immense I actually I was writing part of um, the, the report kind of listed all the things that people would have had to do so it kind of ranged from getting to know the ins and outs of the furlough scheme very helpfully Announcements were always put out about 7pm on a Friday night. So having to get to grips with that every week, having to suddenly get a lot of people remote working if you were in a kind of knowledge based organisation. So kind of going through these kind of 10 years of organisational transformation in, in a few days or having to really go hard on health and safety for people in frontline roles, all while dealing with kind of motivation, engagement, productivity, mental well-being, all of this, just the scope of it is massive. And at the same time, trying to trying to kind of get a picture of what the future of work even looks like, and what the future operating of your organ, operating model of your organisation needs to be. So, mm. kind of dealing with all of that and swinging quite wildly between the incredibly tactical. So, a number of conversations I had with people where they say, "I can't believe I've spent the last like twenty minutes, half an hour, talking about how we can get people to the toilet safely," mm. <laughs> right? To the kind of most strategic questions on does this organisation even have a future? And what yeah. shape does it need to be, and what kind of operating model do we need to do we need to have? It's kind of going like a pendulum between yeah. those two things. Yeah. And quite a few of the HR directors I know as well, almost, and this is mainly in the public sector. I know a few examples of people who've stepped up into that CEO role as in kind of an interim basis in the last six months. And I think if that isn't an indicator of how credible HR is seen by the business, and I can't think of another of a better one, really. Mm-hmm. So I do think it has been a potentially positive thing for the function because there's absolutely I was I, I've ran a lot of kind of support calls and therapy sessions almost with HR directors <laughs> at the height of the crisis, kind of bringing us all together just to kind of talk and learn and share from each other. And I remember this quote from somebody quite early on where she was talking about her and how her week had been and just all the things that she'd had to do. And she said, "If anybody calls me soft and fluffy after this." Like they just haven't got a leg to stand on. They can never call me that again because I've just we've just proven how valuable we are as a function and how much we add beyond that that kind of quote unquote soft and fluffy. I'm doing the air quotes, people can't see it, but <laughs> <laughs> and the soft and fluffy perception of yeah. HR. Yeah, I think this is an interesting point actually. It's the the situation that we found ourselves in in 2020 has caused a lot of businesses to quickly adapt and HR teams have very, very quickly um, adapted what their responsibilities are and they've stepped up. I guess my question, I've got a question for you on this one is, 
if we look into a crystal ball, do you think in 12 months time, let's just say, I know you shouldn't really do this, but let's just say they, they find a vaccine and life goes back to normal by the end of Q1 next year. And so everybody else can meet in offices and everybody else can hug and have a beer with more than six people. Do you think that HR as a profession is going to be seen still in the same light that it has been because of the way that it's stepped up and had to deal with this situation? Or do you think there are still going to be similar challenges from a business perspective? And does HR continually bang and drum almost a little bit louder to make sure that, you know, we've already proven we can do this. And now, now you need to give us you know, you need to stop the soft, soft and fluffy, I guess. <laughs> I think the first thing I say is I don't see how you put the genie back in the bottle and go back to normal, even if you do miraculously get a vaccine in the next few months. <laughs> um, and I think that's more in terms of how we work. Um, I think there are probably some old school, I know there are some old school business leaders who think you can just switch a flick a switch and everything goes back to normal and people go back to the office five days a week. But Every single business that I've spoken to, then they've you know they've all done surveys, they've all spoken to their staff about it. Nobody wants that. It's a very very small group of people who want to go back to the office and work mm. the way that we were working. So mm. I think the kind of even if we get a vaccine, it will just and stuff can theoretically go back to normal. There's a huge amount of work to do on figuring out what the what the future of work and workspace and the purpose of an office um, even is. Um, and I think there's a huge amount of work on the kind of <laughs> repairing some of the fractures that have appeared within our workforces because of the different spectrum of experience that everybody has had. So I wrote a piece for Fast Company a few weeks ago about the kind of the fracturing of the workforce experience because we've all had a very, very different experience of this pandemic. And I know there's that beginning, there was a lot of we're all in this together, but we are not all in this. <laughs> we're not all in this together. I think it's what's that phrase? We're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. Yeah. So that kind of needing to knit everything back together and kind of create a sense of oneness, I think, is going to be quite challenging. And that that's a, kind of a, an organisational behaviour mm-hmm. issue and a, an OD issue, um, which would put um, kind of HR front and centre. Um, and I'm actually I'm just going to read a comment that um, somebody on. posted yeah. on my blog on, on LinkedIn, which is from a CPO. Um, and she said, I think she's said it very articulately, that what she thinks it demonstrates is that people at the heart of all business issues and opportunities and what you are evidencing here is a shift towards people-centric business and human leadership rather than people as resource resource leadership and i think exactly. that's, that's a really nice articulate way of putting it and i think before before the pandemic we were we saw a lot of rhetoric shifting right around what the purpose of a business is and the purpose of an organization and you know purpose was the flavor of the month kind of 20 i would have said that would have been word of the year 2020 if we hadn't had a pandemic kind mm-hmm. of come in and create all sorts of new words um so that kind of becoming more purpose-led becoming more responsible really considering what our responsibilities are to our stakeholders whether that's customers or employees or communities or suppliers obviously in your shareholders as well and just that kind of broader thinking puts people more clearly at the heart of yep. business Absolutely. so I think we were seeing a change there anyway and I've been kind of talking and writing for quite a few years about how I thought that was a brilliant opportunity for HR what I think that COVID has done on a lot of things is kind of pushed a fast forward button so it's Absolutely. pushed a fast forward button hasn't it on how we work you know we were moving to more agile working models anyway most kind of types of organization so it's just kind of pressed fast forward on that and also I think in terms of thinking about it's exposed quite a number of inequalities 
Mm. Um, quite drastically in terms of how people have experienced the pandemic and it's raised all these questions about how we value and how, how we pay people that do some of those most important jobs within society but traditionally don't get paid very much that obviously should feed through to people's how they think people's reward structures and strategies in future so yeah so what I think it's done is just kind of move everything on quite quickly yeah. but a yeah. lot of change was happening anyway yeah, there's a lot of light shining, isn't there, that's being done within organisations and employees want transparency as well. That's a, what, another word. I would say if we're going to pick 2020 words, transparency, certainly. People are looking at brands and the way in which they um, have been treated by their employers and their employer brand as you know an important thing. You know, has my employer done the right thing during a time of global crisis? And where we've seen businesses that have performed perhaps less i don't want to say ethically but not within some of the spirit of the the situation that we've been faced in they've been held up really haven't they as the as the pariahs so it's it's certainly fascinating it's a fascinating piece and we're just coming towards the last few minutes actually of our our pod today but before we do drop off i, I wanted to just ask another point which is from your blog which talks about the conversations you had around the role shifting sorry the differences between the deputy hr director and the HR director role. And I guess this is more a question about next generation of talent coming through. So can you just talk to me about some of the interesting things that you, you found from the discussions that you had from that perspective? Mm. So it's just a, a point that came out a few times, but um, one of the CPOs made it incredibly articulately that she had noticed this enormous jump when she made that move from the being the head of HR or the deputy HR director into the kind of executive role a number of years ago um, and she thought the gulf was growing because ultimately what the deputy is doing is being quite internally focused on the organization and making sure that kind of all the processes and all the HR stuff is being delivered really well and that kind of operational efficiency and people strategy but with a quite an internal focus whereas the CHRO was having to take a much more external focus so having to work much more with external partners than they might have had to before. So whereas your stakeholders before would have been your, you know, your business leads within the organization, suddenly you found yourself having to deal with kind of your your partner organizations or if you're in the public sector, you know, that's even kind of on a, on a political level mm. um, with a, a far wider range of stakeholders and, Again, this, if we're talking about kind of next generation stuff, these are skills that are just broad executive competencies rather than those deep technical skills. And it's obviously not just HR, because if you're a kind of finance person going into the CFA, CFO role or any kind of role where you're going in, you need to kind of have view across the organization, but also outside of the organization and across the, the, the whole ecosystem in which your organization operates, because organizational boundaries, I think, are really becoming much more porous than they mm. were a number yeah. of years ago. So in terms of that next gen stuff, I think it's just really important to think about how you can expose talent to those opportunities. So whether it's letting them shadow you to various kind of external meetings and seeing how you deal with those kind of things. Because even yeah. within executive education, I think I'm, I'm no expert on this, but um, when I was talking to the academic, which who we co-wrote the Responsible Business Reports of Veronica Hope-Haley, who led on that, she was reflecting that a lot of the stakeholder management skills, perhaps you don't even really get that in an MBA. So there's a kind of lot of work to do on kind of leadership development yeah. and taking that 
broader and outside the outside the confines of the organization yeah i've got a little bit of a segue for you as well actually on that because you and i previously spoke about your mentoring program so is that where there's certainly an opportunity for people to leverage trust me i'm not a cipd plant it's just that katie and i talk about spoke about this previously so perhaps you can just talk to us about the mentoring side and how that potentially i guess is that is that linked into some of this and how it could help Um, to support those people stepping up yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's so it so we do run we run a lot of mentoring programs at the at the CIPD because we have a fantastic kind of over one hundred and fifty thousand members and a lot of people want to give back. So there's kind of opportunities at all level for for mentoring. But the one that we run specifically on this topic is something called the um, Aspiring HR Director Mentoring Program, which aims to match people who are a couple of years out from taking that role. Uh, or have ambitions to take on that role, but in a, a relatively short time frame. It's not for people who kind of want to do that in 20 years' time. Um, matching those with people who have done it for a while. And, and part of that is to give advice and guidance on that extra, that extra stuff, like that kind of executive competency stuff. So, I mean, definitely, definitely the opportunities are there for people to be using what they learned and giving back to the next generation. And I think... Not that I've worked in many other sectors, but as a profession, I think HR is so generous and, you know, people are interested in people development and that's why they get into it. So kind of I always was blown away by the amount of collaboration and sharing that people are willing to do and how much people are willing to give give up their time. It's just always been brilliant to see. But I I will have to say that we are probably full for the next few cohorts because it has been very popular. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I think the message there, drop you a line if you're interested, but but be mindful that obviously it's a very, very popular, very, very popular opportunity that you guys have got at the CIPD as it is. We are pretty much at the end of our podcast, but it would be remiss of me not to ask you if there's any bits and bobs that you wanted to flag just before we we say goodbye for, for today. Uh, so I'll just flag those uh, reports that I mentioned that will be coming out probably, I don't know when you're releasing this, Chris, so some, <laughs> probably quite soon. <laughs> it's before, in November, yeah. early November. Um, so the People Profession 2030 will be showcasing at the CIPD annual conference, which obviously, like everything else, is virtual this year on the 11th and 12th of November. And the Responsible Business Through COVID piece should be out around the same time or kind of late October. Um, so please do look at some really brilliant insight. And so for both of them, we see them at the start of the conversation rather than just saying, that's it. So we'll be using them to, to build on and to do other pieces of work. So if anybody is listening and wants to get involved in shaping those agendas, then feel free. You can always reach out to me on kind of various social media because uh, I, I spend a lot of time there. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. Katie, it's been absolutely marvellous to have you on. Thank you very much for spending some time talking about your blog, talking about some of the roundtables that you've had and a little bit about the research as well. I think that's us done for the day. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can get this podcast, as I say, every week on iTunes. We are on Spotify. You can access it via SoundCloud. You can also access it via the Lace Partners website, which is lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. Katie, what's your socials? What's your Twitter handle? Uh, my Twitter handle is at Katie underscore Jacobs because I got in there early in 2009. So I'm allowed to have <laughs> in there. Very good. And they can just search for you, obviously, just Katie Jacobs on LinkedIn. Yes, Katie was an IE, which is the only way to spell it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I couldn't possibly comment. But Katie, once more, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, and we'll see you next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.